So let us continue with this issue of uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can maybe start by reading from Acts. We could have done that in uh, the first session, but um, now we can do it now. In uh, Acts chapter 2, which is kind of the, the, how to say, basic chapter or the ba basic passage of when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, where we first time in the Bible see it coming uh, in, on the, in the New Covenant. In Acts 2, uh, 1 to 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them the wider tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here we see uh, first time uh, in the book of Acts, m many people will say that this is the, the birth of the church. This is when uh, the church kind of was started. And we see one of the reasons why I think the issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit should not be a minor issue for us is that when you read the book of Acts, you see that this is actually something that the book of Acts talks a lot about. Again and again and again, we see this thing mentioned, the issue, and we, every time when we see it, we see that it's not some minor thing, but, but it's actually something important. I, I want to read uh, two other passages uh, for you um, when it comes to this issue. One is from Acts 10, 44 to 46. This is the first time the gospel was being preached or given to, to the Gentiles. So... Peter is talking, and it says in Acts 10, 44 to 46, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those who were circumcised, who believed, were astonished, as many as had came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues, and magnifying God. So here we see again, as I ended last time, I, I said that many people say that the tongues were only for the first church as a means of spreading the gospel. Well, here we see totally the opposite. Here we see that tongues was not a sign for the unbelievers. Here the tongues were a sign for the believers because the unbelievers, they got saved and got baptized in the Holy Spirit and when the believers heard them speak in tongues, then they understood, aha, okay, this is, this is God. Uh, in Acts 19, 5-6 is one other passage, where it says that when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied which is one of the things also that very often the speaking in tongues and the prophetic is very closely 
knit together uh, and we hopefully we will have time to uh, look more into that later. Um, there are some passages in the New Testament where it doesn't specifically mention speaking in tongues, but from the context you can understand that that's what's going on. One of these passages is uh, Acts 8, 14 to 17, uh, when Philip is preaching in Samaria. The people get saved, and it's also inter interesting to note here, the, the, the apostle in Jerusalem, they, he they heard that Samaria had received the gospel. They had received the message. What is the first thing that they think needs to happen? They need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's how important the baptism in the Holy Spirit was for them. When the apostle in Jerusalem, when they heard that Samaria had received uh, the word of God, they immediately sent Peter and John so that they could lay their hands on them and so that they could receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We can read Acts 8, 14 to 17. Now, when the apostle who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen... Uh, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You can read one other passage from Acts 8. No, we yeah. Before I want to mention this, because many people they, they discuss, well, if we are saved, don't we have the Holy Spirit? Isn't it enough? Uh, to just have the Holy Spirit as being saved. And that's true. Yes, when we are saved, all believers, we have the Holy Spirit. That's true. But at the same time, it's also important to notice that uh, here in, in uh, the book of uh, in chapter 8 here, it's interesting to notice that they had first received the word, most people will then say, well, then they are at least, when, when you receive the word, receive Jesus, then you are saved. Well, they had received the word and they had gotten baptized. So I think we can be fairly sure that these people were already saved. They had both received the message and they had taken the step of being baptized. Still, the apostle in Jerusalem sent Peter and John to lay hands on them so that they would receive the Holy Spirit or be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which shows that having the Holy Spirit as being saved is not the same as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yes, all believers have the Holy Spirit, but still it's very clear from Scripture that there are, a, so to say, a second blessing that God wants to give you, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And people can argue, uh, you know, if there is a second blessing. I believe in a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh blessing. You know, God is not saying, well, you have one blessing, that's all. Now you have to manage. No, no, no. God, he has tons of blessings. Why are we so 
Why are we discussing if there is a second blessing? Of course there is a second blessing. There is a third blessing, a fourth blessing. God wants to fill you again and again and again and again. And that doesn't mean that you don't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see because in John 20, 20, here Jesus has risen from the dead. So he has kind of atoned for the sins. He has been with the Father and he has appeared to the disciples. And then it says in John 20, 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So here he breathes upon them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Still, just right afterward in Acts 1, he says in verse 4 and 5, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Did you notice that? In John 20, 22, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, he says, wait till you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Two different experiences. When we get saved, we get the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's true. But there is a second blessing, which the Bible talks about, which John the Baptist talked about as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I believe there is more than just being saved. There is a second endowment of power that God wants to give every single believer and that Jesus told, uh, told the disciples that they needed this experience. Uh, after having given the Great Commission, he specifically tells them in, in Luke 40, 24, 49, he specifically tells them to wait until they have gotten this uh, promise of the Holy Spirit. So, we will try to get a little bit more into now what the Bible says specifically about the issue of speaking in tongues. Um, and most of what, we, what the Bible's teaching when it comes to specifically about speaking in tongues is not found in the book of Acts, but it's actually found in Paul's letters. There, and one of the reasons why we can understand that speaking in tongues is important is because there are very few topics in the Bible that actually have two chapters almost fully devoted to the issue of spiritual gifts. And when Paul, in chapter 12, he lists a whole list of different spiritual gifts, then he used a whole chapter on this one gift, speaking in tongues, which should make us understand that this is important. It's, it was important to Paul, and Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which means it's important to the Holy Spirit. Um, so, what does the Bible say about speaking in tongues? So, what, what is the purpose? What, how does it help me? Well, first of all, the Bible says that when I speak in tongues, 
it is not my understanding that I'm praying with, but I'm praying with my spirit. That's why when Paul uh, was teaching about uh, speaking in tongues, he says that one of the purpose of speaking in tongues is to edify myself. 1 Corinthians 14.4, Paul is saying, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. And also Jude chapter 1, verse 20, uh, Jude is saying, But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So the purpose, the reason why God has given us uh, the gift of speaking in tongues is to give us, in a way, a means to charge our spiritual batteries. It's not, it's not a gift that uh, increases our Bible knowledge, so you will not get more Bible knowledge by praying in tongues but you will get stronger spiritually. And where this is important, the reason why this is important is that when it comes to the supernatural power of God in operation in your life, that is not a matter of your intellect. You can study the Bible for hours, but you will not necessarily get better or flow more in the gifts of the Holy Spirit just by reading a whole lot of chapters. You can study theology. I know people who they have great teaching when it comes to healing. Big problem, they just don't see many people healed. Why? Because it's not a matter of knowing the one, two, three and the ABCs of how to heal the sick. No, it requires spiritual power. And then I have other friends who have almost no theology when it comes to healing, but they see people healed. Uh, you know, this used to puzzle me uh, very often. Like, how, how can it be? Because I, I will not mention names, but I, I have two friends. One of them uh, is teaching very much about healing, but he doesn't see very many people healed. Another one, I remember I asked him, what is your theology on healing? And he basically told me, I don't have a theology on healing. I just know that Jesus told us to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's my theology. And I was like, you know, me, I'm maybe more as a Bible teacher. So that's like a very frustrating answer because, you know, I want him to kind of come with his list of points. He didn't have it, but he had spiritual power. Because spiritual power is not based on your intellect, it's based on how you have charged your spiritual batteries. And that's where the gift of tongues come in. It, it is a gift that charges you spiritually. So I remember, for instance, Catherine Coleman, who is one of the, those maybe who has operated the strongest in the gift of healing. She said she would never preach unless she had had at least three hours of speaking in tongues. Three hours. I don't know if you have ever tried to speak in tongues for three hours. I have tried and I can tell you it, it is, takes quite a bit of discipline to speak in tongues for three hours. She said she would never preach unless she had been speaking three hours in tongues. Why? 
because she understood that the things that will change people's life is not her eloquent words, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we want spiritual power, God has given us a way to get spiritual power. He baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, and then we can start to charge those batteries by speaking in tongues. And the more we speak in tongues, the more those batteries are charged, and we can find ourselves uh, operating easily in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not because we have all the one, two, threes and the ABCs. No, because we have charged our spirit and spiritual power flows from a spirit that has been edified and charged. There are some people who get a little hung up because Paul, when he is talking in 1 Corinthians 14, he is in some kind of way highlighting the gift of prophecy higher than the gift of speaking in tongues. So he says, for instance, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, he says, I wish you all speak in tongues. So Paul, he wanted people to speak in tongues. But then he says, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he indeed interprets that the church may receive edification. So some people have said, well, you see, Paul, he is saying that it's better to speak, uh, to prophesy than to speak in tongues. So I'll rather focus on prophesy. Uh, he's kind of saying that those who uh, prophesy, though, are greater. Does that mean that God has kind of like uh, different levels? So uh, level one is speaking in tongues and level two is maybe prophesying. So if you meet someone, you can say, uh, do, you, do you prophesy? And he no, I only speak in tongues. Oh, okay, I'm a little better than you because I, I also prophesy. No, that, that's not how it works. But still, there is a way in which I believe speaking in tongues and speak, uh, prophesying is better. It is in the sense that prof prophecy or speaking a prophecy edifies the church. And when God gives somebody something, he gives it not only for them, but so that they will bless others with it. So, yes, when I speak in tongues, I edify myself. But the advantage of me edifying myself is that when I am edified, then I can start to prophesy. And when I start to prophesy, the church gets edified. So, here we see that I believe... In some kind of way, I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is kind of like the gateway into all the other gifts. That's where it starts. All the other gifts of the Spirit, I believe the gateway into them is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And from that experience, suddenly if you, if you practice you know, speaking in tongues, you can suddenly feel words of knowledge or wisdom or prophecy or healing. It starts to flow the more you nourish, so to say, that baptism in the Holy Spirit. The more you can experience that the gifts of the Spirit, they start to flow in your life. And in that sense, maybe speaking in tongues is maybe a lower gift in the sense that that's where it starts. But that's also the gift that opens up for all the other gifts of the Spirit. So, yes, uh, speaking in tongues, I think, is important. 
The other thing Paul says about speaking in tongues is that when we speak in tongues, we speak mysteries. And that's very fascinating. In 1 Corinthians 14, 12, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. When we speak in tongues, I believe we enable God to pray through us about things that lies beyond our understanding. It's very hard for me to pray for someone that I don't know what their problem is and I don't know what their name is. Then it's very hard for me to pray for them because I just cannot put words to it. But when I pray in tongues, I can find myself praying for a specific person that I have never met, I don't know about, and I can pray specifically into his need and the things that God wants to do in his life because I'm not limited to my natural understanding. When I pray in tongues, my, my, I'm not limited in my prayer life. So, for instance, I remember one time I was uh, praying in tongues and as I was praying, I suddenly get this name. It comes to me again and again and again and again. And I start to understand, hmm, am I praying for a person? So I pray a little bit more in tongue and I start to seek God for what am I praying about? And, uh, and I get the sense that, yes, I am praying for a person. So I continue to speak in tongues, praying for this person. I get a sense that it's related to having problem with drugs. So I pray for this person in relation to drugs. And I, I continue to pray in tongues. I finish my prayer time. I go out. I do other things. I think maybe there went one or two weeks or something like that. Then there comes a person to our church who has exactly that name. And that person had been on drugs from she was very little. And she comes, we pray for her, and she gets free right away. No abstinence, no, uh, you know, from one day to another, completely free. And suddenly I realized, aha, I won that battle two weeks ago. When I, because she had exactly that name. And it, it's not a common Norwegian name. Um, so, so she having that name was like the first person in Norway that I knew who had that name. But when she came, she had the same name. She had the same problem. Suddenly I understood, aha, because I had taken time to pray in tongues over this person two weeks ago, I prepared the ground so that when that person came, everything was prepared, we prayed for her, she got free. I believe when we pray in tongues, we are allowing God to pray through us for things that lies beyond the limitation of our human mind, which makes prayer in tongues so powerful because there are things about this city that I don't know about, but God knows about them. And he just needs someone who is willing to yield their how to say, voice to him so that he can pray through them. And then God, through me, can pray 
for these things that I know nothing about by me allowing him to pray through me. That's powerful. That's why we need to pray so much in tongues. And I've seen again and again in my own life, there are periods where I sense a burden of praying in tongues, where I would pray a lot more in tongues than I usually do. And almost every single time there goes some time and I'm in the middle of a situation and I just know, aha, I have, the ground is already prepared because I had taken the time to pray for this already before it happened. God knew it was going to happen. He just needed me to pray for it before it happened so that when I arrived, everything was prepared, I could do what I was supposed to do, and everything ran smoothly because the road had been prepared by me praying in my prayer language. At the very end, before we end, I will just mention one little thing that is often, uh, uh, how to say, something that is debated when it comes to speaking in tongues. And that is whether we should pray in tongues in public. Because yes, the, the gift of speaking in tongues is a private gift, and Paul very specifically says that. And in, in uh, chapter 14 of Corinthians, he, he does say that, uh, in some kind of way that, that it's a private gift that is between you and God. Does that mean that we should not speak in tongues in public? Well, first of all, what Paul is saying is not that we shouldn't speak in tongues in public, because if you read, I think it's in verse 26. Yeah, we can actually read that here. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26, Paul is saying, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for, the ed for edification. If anyone seeks to speak in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and God. So, in one sense, Paul is saying that they should speak in tongues. But what he is saying, and also when you read the whole chapter, what he is saying is that when he gets up to teach, it makes no sense for him to speak in tongues, because they will not understand it unless it's being interpreted. So, in that sense, he says, when I come to you, brethren, I would rather speak how to say, five words of understanding than 10,000 words in tongues, because they can be edification for you. But he is not telling them that they shouldn't speak in tongues. He is just saying that that should be between you and God. You know, when we are in a public meeting and people are gathered, maybe they are lifting their hands and they are praying and worshiping God, it's very fine to speak in tongues. Because when you are speaking in tongues as you are worshiping God, you are not talking to the ones standing next to you. Then you are talking to you and God. So focus on you and God. So when we come together, all of us, we can speak in tongues. But of course, when I get up to the pulpit to teach, I need to switch to a language that people are able to understand. But when I am worshiping God, 
just adoring him, singing, praying, then I can speak in tongues because then I'm speaking, then it's me and God, how to say that is connecting. So in that sense, I think that is, if you read, I think it becomes clear also when you reach chapter 14, that what Paul is saying is not trying to encourage them not to speak in tongues, but he's just saying that when I get up to teach, I need to do it in a language that you can understand. But he is not saying that they shouldn't speak in tongues when they come together. One last point about that is that when you read in the book of Acts, you see that every single time people were speaking in tongues, it happened in public gatherings. So when you read the letter of Paul's, you know, there is a principle that is very important when we study the Word of God, and that is to take the sum of the Word of God. So in the book of Acts, we don't have much teaching about speaking in tongues. We just read that they did it, and where they did it, and how they did it, but there is not much teaching about it. In the letter of Paul, we, we understand that they were doing it, but now he is coming with the teaching of speaking in tongues. So what we need to do, we need to take the teaching of Paul and we have to mirror it with how they were practicing it in the book of Acts. Because there we can see how they lived out the teaching of Paul. And when you look in the book of Acts, you see that all the times they were speaking in tongues, it was in public gatherings, which is one of the clues that you can't speak in tongues in public gatherings, but it doesn't make sense to do it from the pulpit because then people will not understand what you are saying unless you are just maybe praying and seeking God uh, as you are praying for people. That is maybe a different setting. But in short, we can pray in tongues when we are in public gatherings, but when somebody gets up to to teach or to say something, addressing the congregation, then it's good to do it in a language that people can understand. Amen. There's a lot more that we haven't covered, but that you can read in your notes uh, if you want. A lot more scripture. I believe this is a really important topic, and we might even take one more session on it later. But I think we can take a break now and uh, then see if we maybe take one more session uh, uh, next Tuesday. Amen.